Hello and welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 75. I am your host, Noah Rochetta, and today I'm doing something a little different. I'm sharing the audio of an interview I had on another podcast called Everyday Buddhism. So I want to tell you a little bit about this before playing the audio for you of that interview from that podcast. So uh, my friend Wendy is the host of the Everyday Buddhism podcast, and she is a fellow graduate of the lay ministry program that I did at Bright Dawn. Uh, It's the two-year ministry program. Um, So we, she graduated a, a year or two before I did and facilitated in some of the classes that I was in when my uh, class or group was going through it. So she reached out to me and started a, she started a podcast, but reached out to me and invited me to uh, be interviewed for her podcast. And I was really excited to do that because I know that uh, based on the uh, training and the, the studying that we've done, I know that her approach is very similar to mine when it comes to discussing Buddhism and that's the everyday aspect of it. Her podcast, uh, I think, is very appropriately titled Everyday Buddhism in the sense that a lot of this stuff that we talk about and that we learn about and that we study about in Buddhism can at times seem like way over the head, esoteric, uh, mumbo jumbo. And, and really what we're trying to get down to is whether or not these teachings work. Can these actually uh, improve our day-to-day uh, lives and I believe they absolutely can so does she and that's why her approach to this podcast and her approach to to Buddhism is uh, appropriately called everyday Buddhism it's taking how, how do we apply this in everyday uh, life so uh, she interviewed me we talked a little bit about my story and what brought me to Buddhism so I don't think I've ever shared that on this podcast. It's only been shared on other podcasts. So that'll be shared in this episode um, to give you a little bit more of, a, of the background that led me to Buddhism. So uh, that's what you're going to hear today. This podcast episode is actually an episode of the Everyday Buddhism podcast. And I wanted to play the full audio for you because if you enjoy this podcast, you should check out her um her podcast. It's called Everyday Buddhism. You should be able to find it in any of the podcasting software that you're using. Um, and you can find it on everyday-buddhism.com as well. That's her website. Um, so without further ado, I share with you the audio of the Everyday Buddhism podcast interview that I did with my friend Wendy. Thank you. Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to Episode 5 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. I have a special guest today, Noah Rochetta. Noah is a Buddhist teacher, lay minister, author, and the host of the podcast, Secular Buddhism. He teaches mindfulness and Buddhist philosophy online and in workshops around the world. He has a unique story, though, of what brought him to Buddhism. 
and what prompted him to start his podcast and write his first book, Secular Buddhism. I think you will enjoy and learn from Noah's story. He has since written a second book, No Nonsense, Buddhism for Beginners, Clear Answers to Burning Questions About Core Buddhist Teachings. But in addition to our shared commitment to, you know, sharing and teaching what we learned in our own practices of Buddhism, Noah and I have another thing that we share, and that's training and induction as senseis and lay ministers with the Bright Dawn Center for Oneness Buddhism. I wanted Noah to be my first guest because he was one of the hosts and one of the podcasts that inspired me to start this podcast. I've guest hosted and presented on the Bright Dawn Center's Live Dharma Sunday show on Blog Talk Radio, and I've thought about starting a podcast for years. Even my brother and nephew both suggested I should think about it. But you know, it was Noah's podcast that finally lit the fire of desire to something beyond the occasional idle thought. So welcome, Noah. Thank you for being an inspiration to me and for probably hundreds of others. And thank you for joining me on my first podcast episode. Well, thank you. It's an honor to, to be with you on, on your podcast. So, Noah, I think uh, our listeners would enjoy hearing, you know, sort of your, the background story of what brought you to Buddhism. You know, the, the interesting thing that I think a lot of people would find is that you were raised LDS, Mormon, um, uh, and went to church there in, U in the U.S. and Mexico for all of your growing up life and most of you're probably in your, I'm assuming in your 20s. Um, from what I understand, you served in an LDS mission and then was, and was also married in a LDS temple to your wife, Giselle, which I believe is she's still part of the LDS church. Uh, so I'm just giving you the overview of what I know. Please correct what anything that's wrong. Um, but I'll turn it over to you for more of your story of what brought you here. Great, thank you. Um, I think I heard you say that you you think I'm in my twenties. Is that what you said? No. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say that's very flattering of you. <laughs> no, I said I said I think you were uh, an active member of the LDS Church through your twenties. Ah, uh, yes, yes, okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, so yeah, but I'm I'm happy to refer to you as in your twenties if you would like. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not in my twenties anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, so, so everything you summed up is, is accurate. Uh, I think the, the summarized version uh, of, of my faith transition, if we were to call it that, uh, in my 20s, I, I was going through a really difficult um, stage in my marriage and just difficulty with uh, life in general. I had encountered... Um, you know, one of those eye-opening moments where life isn't going the way that you thought it was supposed to go. Uh -huh. uh, and, and I had been deeply hurt by uh, someone very close to me in, with regards to a betrayal of trust. And uh, as hurtful as, it, as the situation was, I think what made it more difficult was trying to understand how wrong I could have been about interpreting or, or uh, um, I guess seeing 
not having not seen that this happened, being so blindsided by it really left me shaken because I thought this person that I'm supposed to know so well um, has presented something that has blindsided me. This is, you know, I, I did not see this coming and that really shook me because I thought I had a pretty good uh, skill with being able to discern people. Right, um, right. And, and that left me shaken to the point where I thought, well, what else could I be wrong about in life? Um, now, I didn't start questioning my faith at that specific moment, but I did start uh, trying to develop a deeper sense of my, of my beliefs. Why do I believe what I believe? Where do these beliefs come from? And that uh, inquiry, um, as I start to, to dig deeper into my own belief system, uh, that's when I started feeling uh, more doubt, more uncertainty. And in the LDS faith, um, you have a lot of certainty. You, you're told, you know, where we come from, why we're here, where we're going. It's all laid out in a very uh, concise plan of, of action. And this is what you have to do. This is what you avoid doing. And everything's spelled out pretty clearly. And it gives a, a very strong sense of certainty. And it, I was feeling that uh, that certainty had collapsed in my marriage. Suddenly there was a lot of uncertainty. And I was trying to cling to the only other area of certainty in my life, which was my existential certainty that I gained through my, uh, my religious views and through my beliefs. So when that started to crumble as well, I started to think, uh, now what? what? How do I make sense of life? And the, the more I tried to regain that certainty through my beliefs and through my faith, um, the more troubling it became for me because I started to see it as, as an illusion. Maybe all of these beliefs and all this certainty uh, that, it, that these beliefs give me what if they're all just a complete illusion? Yeah. And that was very scary. And I felt like the ground under me was just shaking and breaking up. And at some point I had that feeling of, I'm just falling in free fall. I don't know what's real. <laughs> I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> yeah. And it was really scary. And it was, it was during that time that, you know, I had heard things like, oh, meditate. And that, that brings you peace. But I didn't, <laughs> that's about the gist of it. I didn't know much more than that. And I was desperate for that piece, so I thought I'd try anything, and I did. I did try to meditate, and I. What I start to find is that the quest, the quest for having all the answers, was a significant part of the the discomfort I was feeling because we don't have answers in life, and you know, in my own marriage, as as the as the catalyst for this all, I was looking for certainty, and I was looking for answers. What what can I do that will ensure that it will always be good and never be bad? Um, and I was finding pretty quickly that that's just not how it works. And, and the more I flirted with the idea of what if the answer is, I don't know. And I don't know if it'll last. I don't know if this is good. I don't know if it could be better. I don't know if someone else out there would, would make this relationship or, or you know, if I, if, if I could have a better relationship with someone else, like all these aspects of the uncertainty of a relationship i started to allow them to be a part of the the equation of the truth is i don't know and, mm -hmm. and and so that was like the shift where 
Instead of looking for answers, I started to explore the questions. Why do I feel the need to know if this is this way or, or that way? And I started to apply this to my existential uh, angst as well. You know, what if the answer is, I don't know what happens when I die? What if I was okay with that, with not knowing? And it started to, I started to find the peace I was looking for, but it wasn't in finding the answers. It was becoming comfortable with, with the unknowability of a lot of the questions. Yeah, sitting, and, sitting in the questions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's right. when I started to realize, wow, this Buddhist approach resonates and fits better with my personality, with, with what makes sense for me. And so I gravitated towards it, not because I thought, oh, this one is actually more right than Mormonism. It wasn't that at all. It was, it, it was this works better for me with how my mind works and how my uh, personality works. So I gravitated towards Buddhism and, and moved away from the certainty that I had in Mormonism. I had all the answers to any of the questions, but the answers weren't working for me. Uh, instead, I found much more comfort with the uncertainty of not having the answers and sitting with the questions, which is more the Buddhist approach. So that's kind of what, you know, in a, in a nutshell, where I ended up and my wife um, is with her personality, like she's very comfortable with having certainty and having the answers, whether the answers make sense or not, I think is less important than saying, at least I have the answer. And for me, that didn't work. I, I needed the answers to make sense and those answers weren't working for me. So we found ourselves in this position where we're in a mixed faith relationship, mixed faith marriage now, and we're tackling that because that has all of its own intricacies and dynamics. Wow, I'll uh, say, but yeah. That's where we are now, and, and that's where I am in my own faith journey with uh, being very happy with not knowing anything. <laughs> And, and, you know, some of these things, because things are never permanent, you know, it's like what you discovered, I think, in looking for the certainty was that, you know, obviously you discovered that there is no certainty. Um, but you also, I, you know, I, you sort of, in your own personal struggle, this was like your own personal awakening moment, if you will, you, you came to the truth of sort of the, uh, you know, the three marks of existence, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that things aren't permanent, that your relationship may not in fact be permanent and that things are forever changing. And, you know, to, to, to apply that, you know, one of the things I think um, we get to these certain places where, wow, this is working for me, but then we forget that, you know, down the road in another year or two, you know, you may have another moment of uncertainty somewhere and 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 change those thoughts as well as your wife i mean that you know everything is just a hodgepodge and in in a marriage you know we're, we're um i think what we do we tend to do at least i tend to do and i don't know how that works for you is that you tend to um you sort of allow the change in yourself and um you sort of expect the other to stay put, right? <laughs> so I can I can imagine many of the issues you guys probably face there. Yeah, we do. So Noah, um, I didn't really go into this too much with you before, but due to the power and the reach of the internet, I I actually heard your 
own story a little bit in more detail on the podcast Mormon Stories, which was a discovery for me as well. Um, and, you know, to explain to other people, yes, we're, we, you know, we're, we're colleagues, so to speak, in, in uh, the Bright Dawn Center of Oneness Buddhism, but even though we're both Bright Dawn Senseis and lay ministers, we, you know, the, the organization is a growing group of 50 plus. So it's nearly impossible to get to know everyone as closely as we would like. I think it took me forever to even know you had a podcast. So, um, and by the way, I never did ask, you know, what brought you, you know, sort of the next leap is what brought you to write Dawn um, in this, in this um, new journey into Buddhism for you. Yeah. So during this time that I'm, I'm interested in Buddhism and exploring it more. I discovered the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship, mm -hmm. which is run by uh, Christopher Sensei, another colleague of ours. Uh, so I befriended him and I really enjoyed so much of what he had to say. Um, and it was around that time that he was getting ready to start his uh, ministry program. And he told me about it and, and I asked him for more information and, and he shared that with me and we ended up being in the same class uh, so it's through him that I discovered Bright Dawn um, and it was through him that I uh, learned about several concepts that I hadn't really understood or explored about Buddhism in general prior to starting this whole journey yeah yeah actually uh, that was a great class so um um, so anyway, I was talking that I, I ran into you, you on the internet in Mormon stories. And you know, one of the things that I think is interesting to, that for us to talk about a little bit more here today is um, um, in, from the way you expressed yourself on the, the Mormon stories podcast, um, it would be nice to kind of go into like, not just Buddhism, but Buddhism, religion, you know, belief, doubt, you know, this is all sort of uh, sort of swirling around the certainty area, um, uh, truth, uh, secularism, you know, your, your podcast and your book is, um, secular Buddhism and, and everydayism. My, my, uh, podcast is everyday Buddhism. And, and so it would be nice to kind of visit that. And one of the things that really stood out for me that maybe to get the, the, the back and forth started was that, uh, you said one of the things that drew you to the study was you went to a like a multi-religious you know workshop or seminar or something and I think you said you asked the the Buddhist lecturer that you were there for look looking to find the truth and I think he said something like well if if you if you're looking for the truth you're not going to find it here is is am I right about that part of the story? Yes, that's right. Um, so. Uh, one of the, going back in the story real quick, one of the misconceptions that um, I clarify, at least with the LDS audience that listens to my podcast, is that I shifted from Mormonism or the LDS faith into Buddhism. Um, and that's not entirely accurate. What happened is I had uh, a faith crisis that left me um, resenting religion, rejecting religion entirely for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I delved into uh, psychology and uh, the new atheist movement uh, and mm -hmm. discovered Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins mm -hmm. uh, and started reading all of that literature. 
and I was I had decided I was just not interested in, in religion in general uh, there were several things that bothered me about religion um, so that's the space I was in when I discovered Buddhism and a part of that was because I was given it one last shot I thought uh, I had been brought up to believe that there is the truth out there and somebody's got it right and everyone else has it wrong and conveniently for most of my youth I happened to have belonged to the one that was right um, <laughs> and everyone else had it wrong so naturally my part of my thinking when when that uh when i deconstructed my belief system was that okay well then i need to discover who has it right so part of this last effort before for sure giving up on religion was i attended a, a lecture series or listened to a lecture series on um uh audible Oh and yeah. So uh, the the whole point of the lecture series was um, finding the meaning of life as expressed through the major world religions, which was Christianity, Islam, uh, Hinduism, Judaism, and, and finally Buddhism. So I'm listening to this lecture series that's kind of presenting, hey, the meaning of life as expressed through Christianity is this and that. Through Islam, it's this and that. And it's all fascinating. But by, by the time I'm listening to this, I had already decided none of them make sense to me. <laughs> um, so the, the last of the five was the lecture series on Buddhism. And when it got to that one, what stood out to me was it was prefaced by saying, if you're looking for the answers to these deep questions that we've been explaining, right? Like, who am I? Why am I here? What happens when we die? Those right. are the three fundamental questions. It kind of warned at the beginning, just saying, we're about to get into Buddhism. Just so you know, this one doesn't really focus so much on those answers. Uh, some would say it doesn't even have the answers. It's going to turn it on you and say, who is the one that wants to know? Right, right, and, right, right. And man, that was fascinating. It had never occurred to me to explore that side of the equation. And right away I was hooked. I was like, okay, tell me more about that. Because I had been listening up to this point to the whole thing thinking, okay, that answer, yeah, well, here's this or that flaw with the answer that makes it not make sense for me personally. And I was, I was surprised to encounter Buddhism and I couldn't do that. It, it wouldn't let me say, well, here, let me tell you what's wrong with the answers because they didn't give me the answers. The presenter turned around and said, we're going to look at the question. That's kind of the Buddhist approach to all of this. And I was, I was fascinated right then. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that would, that is the hook. I think it, it, it can, or it can be in a nutshell. I think if you, especially if you come at it the way you did, and I think the way you came at it is the way I came at it. And a lot of people come at it is the, um, the sort of giving up of all religions or finding fault with all religions or, and, and in your case, especially if you, you sort of went through the side door through the uh, new atheist movement, that would certainly get you in that, um, um, if, if you will, doubting Thomas mood, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and so that, yeah, that, that's, that's, re that's really interesting. And, and, you know, the other thing that um, I re remember from your, retelling of your story and the Mormon stories was that you talked about your mission um, with the LDS and that th this really struck a chord for me because it's something that is 
means a lot to me and is personal to me as far as the Buddhist story, if if you will, or the 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 why I you know, why can I feel comfortable calling myself a Buddhist to sort of term it, put it in sort of the the characteristics that we're talking about today. Um, you talked about that the thing that really captured you in your mission was that you were connected to a bigger story, something bigger than you. And that, that struck me because I do think that is the key. Uh, if, you, if you're if you're looking for a truth, that's not a truth as in why am I here, what's going to happen to me when I die, but it's a truth for for a, uh, a life well lived. Um, and it, it's, it's to me the part of the, you know, it's the noble part of the four noble truths um, and the noble eightfold path. It's the, you know, the noble effort that is related to this um, understanding these the truth of life as it is and how we're, how we're supposed to see it and how it's going to make us uh, have a better life by doing these things, these eight, you know, these eight things. Um, so I call that, you know, and, and I'm throwing, I'm going to throw this back to you and I'm sorry I'm going on, but it, it really struck me about this bigger purpose or bigger story. Um, to me, that's like having a life of faith, right? Um, yet when we use the word faith, we kind of drag along sort of all sorts of baggage and connotations and implica implications that can poison people who, especially people who are coming from a faith and going through a faith crisis and losing, losing their religion. Um, uh, but one has to have a certain amount of faith to say, okay, this makes a lot of sense to me, and I think it's the truth, and I'm going to try to practice it. Um, because the Buddha said, you know, don't take my word for it, you try it on yourself. And so that part is experiential, and it's not requiring faith. But once we try it, right, and see that it makes sense, and in fact that it does make our lives better, you know, isn't there a certain amount of, I don't know how you see it, but isn't there a certain amount of um, faith or belief to continue practicing the system, even if the system is more of a system of mental well-being or positive living rather than religion. You know, does that does this make sense to you? Yeah, it definitely does. Because um, faith for me was one of those words that I had just I had only ever understood it in the context of faith in someone or something. Ah, and so in that sense. I had no interest in having any kind of faith anymore. But uh, what I discovered through the practice, through, through Buddhism, was uh, I, I redefined the word faith and understood it to be, uh, you know, ultimately the, the, the Buddha's journey, I think, was this transition of faith in himself. Right. And that really resonated with me to realize um, you know, I'm, I'm going through all of this because of an ordeal that happened. And I could very much go through another ordeal. You know, what if one <laughs> of my kids gets sick and dies or, you know, all the things that I don't like to think about, those are things that are just waiting to happen as potential, potential things. What, so what is faith for me? What I concluded was faith was my ability to adapt to whatever curveballs life throws at you and to keep going with the flow and that 
that was a, a, another one of those big radical shifts in perspective for me where I realized, wow, I actually do have faith. I have faith in my ability to adapt to life as life changes. And, and then I had all of the same comforts that faith used to give me, you know, where right. before it was faith that life, faith that God can, can make this all okay for me. And now it's just, it was faith that I'm going to be able to adapt and, and evolve with life as it unfolds, whether it's my kids getting sick, uh, losing a job, whatever it's going to be, well, I'll figure it out and I'll adapt. And that was faith in myself. And that was, that was a profound shift in faith for me. So I, I found myself once again in this position of being a person of faith, and yet it had nothing to do with someone or something. It had everything to do with uh, the trust that whatever life throws at me, um, I'll be able to figure it out. And yeah, yeah, that is so key. That is, that is absolutely key. And that is, it's, it's a faith in yourself, but I might push it a little bit. Um, I push the envelope a bit um, to say that it's a faith because, you know, I think I have, I, I, I once had a person tell me that uh, they thought um, what they understood of Buddhism was that it was selfish, right? Self. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was an interesting way to think about it. I mean, to me, it seems like just the opposite, but of course I'm one of them, right? So of course it's going to seem like the opposite, but, um, but I got, I got thinking more about what that meant to her. And it was because it was all about her, our, you know, our own individual ability to do something or, or, you know, it's centered around the self with the meditation and the, this, and I understood that, but then you know, in thinking about that, it, it actually, I, I saw how Buddhism is so much bigger than that, so much bigger than faith in yourself. It's faith in, um, really, it's faith in everything, because it, it, there is an, it, there's, a, there's, an, there's a thing that the Buddha o- awakened to, which is applicable not just to you, right, Noah? It's it's applicable to everyone, um, and it's applicable to all things in the world, all you know, all dharmas, as they say. Um, so, by that measure, it's big, right? It's a bigger Absolutely. thing. Yeah, um, it may not be a deity, right? It may it may not be a supreme being, but yet, in fact if you play with that a little bit, it kind of is, right? It, it's it's, it's kind of, if everything is that, um, and I'm a part of everything, then there is a little sort of supreme beingness to it. Um, but you might find fault with that sort of rationale. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I really like the word oneness or suchness, you know, that right. we hear so often in Buddhism. It's, it's everything. It's the everythingness. And that to me, um, so for me, the, I think it was really important to understand that the idea of faith wasn't, was no longer attached to an outcome. It was faith in the process. Right. Because before, as long as you hold the idea that there's a way life should be, and, and let's say I have faith in myself, that faith is that I can somehow bend the will of, of, of the oneness of all things to what I think that should be. <laughs> Right. So it was going from thinking life is going to be okay to just realizing I have faith that life is going to be. 
It's going to be good some days. It's going to be bad some days. There are going to be days I'm going to be, um, uh, you know, experiencing hardship that I can't even fathom right now, you know, like mm-hmm. the loss of a child or something along those lines. Right. And what's okay is that it's going to be okay that it's not okay. Right. Thinking it has to be a certain way is what I got rid of. And that's where this deeper sense of faith came naturally. It was like, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. And it's, that's what I found comfort in. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think to some people, yeah, I do know. And if, if some people are listening, like, I don't, I don't know how many of your followers and if they're listening to this podcast um, are some people who aren't like, cause you, you, you wanted to make a point to them uh, who aren't like Buddhist and who, who don't, you know, maybe haven't got to that yet where they have that faith that everything's going to be okay or not everything's going to be okay, that all things are going to be as it is. And, and then it's going to just work out the way it works out. And that's the way it is. Um, and that how that, how in the world that could be comforting, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it surprisingly, it is once it becomes a part of your worldview, right? Yeah. It, it, it is, you know, I remember there's a, you know, there's a saying in Zen, you've probably heard it, that uh, the practice of Zen, and I think you can substitute, you don't have to say Zen, but the practice of Buddhism um, requires great faith, great doubt, and great perseverance. I've always loved that because it sounds like a, it's the perfect like three point wrap up or summary to the eightfold path, you know, it's faith in the view of the way things are. That's, you know, that's the faith in the view, like that's right view. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or faith in the fact that uh, life is as, is as it is. And if I am able to accept life as it is, as it is, everything's going to be all right. Um, and the great doubt part though, that's the interesting thing. That's the point of sitting with the questions, doubt and questioning our own ignorance, because that's part of the eightfold path, knowing that, you know, uh, you know, sort of founding all of this stuff is our, we have this profound ignorance. It's not like original sin. It's just, get, it's just that we get confused um, because of, of, of our own perceptions and our own innate human nature and then um that doubt is in our own ignorance and the way you know because we if we continually say oh or try to make things you know be the way we want them to be rather than what they the way they are that's the thing that is ignorant and that's the thing that we have to have doubt in ourselves sometimes and then the perseverance part great perseverance is right effort um so I always love that great faith, uh, great doubt, and great perseverance. I think that's what you're describing in your, um, you know, if we make you the hero of that journey, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And something else that I would highlight where that really works well for me personally, the idea of faith and doubt, was when I removed the the morality of, of right and wrong or good or bad ah. and, and instead made it about skillful and unskillful, which, uh, you know, Buddhism is, is so good at, at, at uh, presenting that as a, as a way of looking at it. Then it all made sense to me because in any given situation, what I am evaluating is not, is this the right way or the wrong way? I'm thinking, could there be a more skillful way? 
am I being unskillful with how I'm handling this situation as it unfolds? And then it's, you know, it's, it's not about good or better, right or wrong. And that's where that sense of faith in myself is uh, faith that maybe there's a, a more skillful way to be living. And I, and so I'm right. constantly evaluating this is where doubt comes in. Is this the most skillful way? And I've done this on, on all fronts in my career, especially in my relationship, in my marriage. Could there be a more skillful way for us to communicate? Um, and I've tried to remove the good and bad and right and wrong entirely from that equation and recognizing this isn't the right, uh, or this is a, a good marriage versus a bad marriage. It's, you know, is this, could this be more skillful in our dynamic as, as parents raising our kids and how we communicate with each other? And that for me has made all the world of difference was just reframing it as a skillful and, and unskillful rather than right and wrong. Right. And at the core of that really is, am I seeing it the right way? You know, as mm -hmm. stopping to, to question the, the content of your thinking, right? Um, yeah. without, without a mindfulness practice, you couldn't, you couldn't actually get to the point where you would pause and say, am I being skillful or unskilled? You'd just be doing something, right? Or saying something, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? <Always> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, it's, all, it's all about reacting, which is where, you know, your teaching of mindfulness and, 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 and the, you know, the harping on mindfulness and meditation is, you know, to some people, you know, it, it just seems so elusive to them, but it, it, it is, a, it's really a foundational part, whether or not you do actual formal meditation, but are you, are you looking at your thoughts, you know, at every minute? Yeah. Are, are you, are you stopping and, and not reacting. Um, you know, we've got an animal brain and we've got a brain that actually has momentary awareness, moment by moment awareness. And most of the time, I think most people live in their their lizard brains, as some people call them. It's, you yeah. know, fly goes by, tongue goes out, right? Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that that's absolutely true. One other thing I wanted to touch on, and then we'll see, I think we'll see about wrapping it up or getting close to wrapping it up is, um, is, you know, in my first uh, podcast episode, I talked about how, you know, well, with, and I'll just let, let me go back. I'll go back a bit and say, the reason I'm bringing this up is because we both had a point of, of entitling our podcast in you, your book, um, secular Buddhism and mine is everyday Buddhism. And so to me, it was a, there was a purposeful clarification on both of our parts to sort of keep religion out of it, right? Um, I, in my first podcast, I discussed, and I wanted to make it clear that yes, Buddhism is a religion because I think too many people in, in trying to, to be crass, quote unquote, market Buddhism, um, uh, they will sort of write religion right out of it. Um, to, you know, many people don't see it as a religion and don't use it as a religion. Many people are born into it. That is their native religion. And even those who come from another religion, say Christianity or anything, Ju Judaism, I mean, that's a, that's a, a typical migration. Um, they come from, uh, those religions to Buddhism, they may fully embrace Buddhism as a religion. 
So there's this other component I, I, I think is, is like brushed aside when, when we all talk about Buddhism as just mindfulness, pretty much mindfulness, without touching on the spiritual, the ritualistic, the community, the social, which I would dare say is, if you wrap it all together, religious aspect of Buddhism. And that would entail, you know, templative study, you know, that, that most major religions do, um, you know, reading, reading the, the treatises, the sutras, the gospels, the uh, whatever, meditation on that or prayer around that. Uh, in our case, sangha gatherings, uh, chanting, maybe, you know, wearing a mala or juzu prayer beads. I noticed you wear mala. You know, I think this is a significant part of the practice of Buddhism. And for many, this could be considered religious. So, and without, you know, we're not even going to go, maybe in another podcast, we could get together and talk about this other part, like Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. But, um, but what do you think about, um, what do you think about this as sort of this fine line between the religion and the not religion and that you, why did you call it secular and why did I call it everyday Buddhism, which is really not asking you for an answer, but just, a, a you know, throw some thoughts out there. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point. Um, so in, in my case, it was important for me to emphasize the secular nature of the approach I was going to take in presenting Buddhism not as secular Buddhism being a thing that's separate from say non-secular Buddhism. What I was, what I've been trying to do as a goal with how I present Buddhism is that it can be presented in a secular lens where if you are not interested in any of the ritualistic or um, mythical aspects of Buddhism, mm -hmm. it, it holds its own. Um, right. Now, that's not to say that that way is better than the other way. For me, personally, in my own journey, I feel like it's, it's been fascinating to discover that some of the more ritualistic or uh, mythical aspects of Buddhism, are, I can play with those. It's, like, it's a playful thing that is there. And it's fascinating to me that it, that it, doesn't, it doesn't all hinge on belief in those things. For example, uh, at least the way I view this, it's like everything that Buddhism espouses and teaches totally holds its own. Even if we were to say, hey, maybe the Buddha was never an actual historical figure and all of this was just some story that got written down, uh, and, but it's not real. Right. All of it would still hold its own. And that to me is fascinating because with most religious traditions, there's some sort of almost requirement to believe in the um, the things that are difficult to believe in right and i don't find that with buddhism um and so for me to be able to be more playful with uh, like okay well i'm gonna wear malas why just because i want to you know, people <laughs> will say well what does that mean it doesn't yeah. mean anything that's what makes it meaningful to me is that i'm wearing something that doesn't mean anything it doesn't have to mean anything it's going to mean whatever I make it mean. And, and that lets me play with that aspect of it rather than feeling, why do you wear that? Oh, because we're supposed to, or because it does this or that. You know, I, I've been able to bypass that part of it, which before I have had religious practices where 
know, the clothing that I wear or the things that I do or don't do that I'm doing them because it's something you're supposed to or not supposed to do. And this, this has been an entirely different approach. It's like, because I, because I want to, I like it as a conversation starter for people to say, why are you wearing that? Oh, well, let me tell you about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it's just, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, you know, Buddhism has so many levels. First of all, it's a very complex system, um, mm-hmm. which is why I think it can be both a religion and a, and a, and a, a maybe a, a, a system of psychological well-being. Like you said, it can be totally separate. One's without the other. You can have one, you can not have the other. And, and, I, and I know many people who have, who embrace the, the religious aspect of it and actually aren't they don't really get into the philosophy because maybe their minds aren't wired that way. Maybe they don't have those pressing questions. Like you were saying, what yep. it fits your personality. And, and, and um, so, yeah, it is, I think I totally agree with you that it's, it's rare. Um, but I do think it kind of confuses people sometimes if they're not interested, if they don't know much about Buddhism is, you know, yeah. how can it be that, you know, it, it must be a religion and you must worship the Buddha. And, you know, it's just, even if you tell them otherwise, I think sometimes they go away thinking that's not true. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I see that in people. Um, so, <laughs> so um, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about is, um, you know, I just have to say, do a, a deep bow to you for one of the things you brought up in your Mormon stories saying um, that you talked about approaching this, that you did about, you know, it's confusing to many about, um, you know, did you leave Mormonism and go to Buddhism and yet you're walking this fine line and you talked about it in sort of as a middle way path, Um that it was your it was your skillful means of approaching this for the benefit of your family in the way that you thought of it by saying well if i feel right then therefore you have to be wrong that you don't have to do that um and i respect that uh i when you said that it was so refreshing in these you know hypercharged times of red versus blue and deplorables versus you know um yeah. That that you were for something, but you and that didn't mean that you put the label on and were in the put yourself in the box that made you automatically against everything else, right? So mm-hmm. it really is is like if you're looking for truth, you're not going to find it here in Buddhism because everyone's truth is a little different. But your your way of approaching it with your community, which I'm still imagine is kind of hard was very admirable. And I think if more people heard your story, it would give them pause. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it, it is still difficult because, um, you know, often you're dealing with, with a, a perspective that is absolute mm-hmm. in its approach. It's, it's either right or it's wrong. And the insinuation can be, well, wait, if you're not, uh, you know, if you're not espousing all of these beliefs, then you're against us. And, right. and then it confuses people because it's like, well, but you come some, you come on Sundays and you'll sit here with your family. And, and I feel like I'm, I'm constantly playing this game of, oh, you're here with us. That means you must be believing again. Oh, I'm like, yeah. no, I'm, I'm just here because this is where my family is and, and I want to support them. And, and then it's like, well, wait a second. And they're always trying to pin, well, what are you? Are you with us? Are you against us? 
are you believer are you non-believer and and i feel like i'm always playing that game of people guessing what my label is and and, and that can be tricky and it, it becomes tricky in certain you know, i'll just give you an example of something that happened very recently with within my family dynamic um so anyone who's who's familiar with with mormonism would know in, in mormonism you're taught to not uh you don't drink coffee mm. um and i that's been an it's it's been it sounds funny to even say it but it's like been this thing for me where i'm trying to decide i I even I enjoy drinking coffee, but I don't enjoy people thinking I'm a sinner, you know? <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> so of course someone that. someone in Mormon circles would hear this and say, Oh, how scandalous. I didn't know he was drinking coffee. Someone outside of Mormonism would be hearing this thinking, How silly to feel feelings <laughs> like that over drinking coffee. And yet that's the world I'm navigating. I'm stuck kind of in there. And so this topic came up where I told I told my wife. I, I'm discreet about it. I don't like it to be in people's faces in my community. Hey, look at me. Now I drink coffee. Because they do take that as one more sign of you're not with us. You're against us. Right. Um, so, so anyway, I, t- I told my wife, would you be comfortable with knowing that I bought a thing of coffee and have it here in the house and drink it discreetly at home? And, and I was surprised to find it's a, it's a point of intense discomfort for her. Not necessarily because it's coffee, but it's, like I said, it's one more glaring sign that you're not one of us. So uh, she told me, uh, what I'm really concerned with is how do I tell the kids this is something that we don't do? We don't drink coffee, and yet there's dad doing it, uh, and I don't know how to navigate that. And it it made me pause and and realize, well, I see this terminology we don't do this. It's saying, here's the group think kicking in. Right. If you're part of the group, you don't do it. If you're outside of the group, then you do it. So I asked my wife, I said, would you be willing to entertain this concept of when, when these things come up, because they will, oh, with yeah. raising our kids, what if the approach was, I don't drink coffee. This is you as the mom telling your children, I don't drink coffee and tell them why you don't drink coffee. And then I can tell them I do drink coffee and I'll tell them why I do, but let's not box them into this group thing. There's no thing as we do this and we don't do that. Um, Or at least there shouldn't be, especially in our dynamic, because I will always be outside of that group. Right. Whatever the we is, I'm outside of it. (laughs) And I said, what a profound moment to be able to express your deeply held views of why you don't drink coffee. Tell us why. And, and it, it made her have to think of it deeper because she's like, well, because the religion I believe in tells me that I shouldn't. And I said, yeah, but there's more to it. Why do you really not drink it? Uh, right. Is it just an act of obedience? Uh, and so anyway, it, it forced her to think, okay, I am going to have to think about these things deeper and, and be able to explain to our kids, here's how I view it. Here's how he views it and give them that freedom of you're not me or him. You're you're going to make this choice on your own. Yeah. Yeah. How, how old are your kids now? Because I would imagine this gets more and more complex as they get older. I think it will. I mean, they're young now, nine, six, and almost three. So a lot of these things, they just go with the flow. And I think that's what concerns my wife. Going with the flow is easy when you do what the in-group does. But what Mm -hmm. happens when a member of the family is not in the in-group, it makes it a little more 
tricky to navigate those waters. And the brilliant thing, though, uh, uh, for your family, from my perspective, I'm, it probably isn't your wife's perspective or your community's perspective, but is that, um, like you said, not sticking each other in the box, is that, you know, back in the 50s, you know, when I was growing up, um, before, before you were born, I'm sure. Um, but back in the 50s, when we were growing up, people did go to church as a family and that they had a family religion, like said, or if like someone couldn't marry, um, a Catholic was divorced, that they couldn't remarry someone so that they became another whole religion, just so that the whole family could could you know they went to episcopalian churches so the whole family could go together um in our in 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 this day and age um being pretty much a secular culture in a lot of the a lot of ways or in a uh, how we, um uh, sort of a marketplace spirituality and i'm not saying that i endorse that but um but your kids are going to be raised. I mean, I'm sure I know they're in an LDS community, but you know, the, the broader world will touch them. Right. Um, so it, what a wonderful gift you're giving them to say, you know, a lot of parents now today say, Hey, you can, we're not anything, but you can be what you want. Um, but that's a wonderful gift that there's two, two parents that are both something right. And that they are explaining the rationale and the reason behind it, giving them actual paths to, to even to even be aware of that there is this path, and then there is this path, and I'm sure there's a lot of others, and then that you can make your decision as you get older. I I think it's beautiful if you can pull it off, right? Yeah, that's the key. <laughs> if you can pull it off. <laughs> uh, well, you know, because from from one perspective, that's a terrifying prospect to think there's the right way. And then there's all these false uh, Other wrong way. ways. And that's what my kids are getting. They're, they're being exposed to uh, uh, a potential false misleading path. Um, because that's, you know, when, that's essentially what we're facing with whether it be Mormonism or any absolutist ideology. Mm -hmm. um, there is only one right way. And I think a lot of people in, in these social circles that I'm in have the hope that, I will eventually return to the fold and realize that I've, I've been misled and been down the wrong path and I'll, I'll see the light again and come back. Um, and so the unfortunate thing is when you have that view, any other view is, is in intentionally or unintentionally uh, invalidated. Yeah. And so that, and that's, that's kind of the position I'm in. It's, you know, in my social circles, people kind of view me as, oh, he's kind of the, the wandering spirit, the lost soul who he'll, he'll find his way back like the prodigal son did because I'm a good guy and I'm a nice guy. Um, but I always have to remind him, well, what if I don't? What if this, this ideology never, ever makes sense to me and I, will, and I never come back to it? Because that, to me, seems like the most likely scenario. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's just tricky waters to navigate. Well, you ha you um, it's amazing, Noah, that you you you're doing this. I think it's wonderful. But you're so, and, and at the same time, you're so visible, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not that you're just quietly doing Buddhism, right? <laughs> you're right. all you're all over the place being a Buddhist, right? And, <laughs> yeah. And and uh, that that high visibility factor might make some people uncomfortable, I would imagine. And and who knows? I don't know how. I really don't know all that much about L the LDS or Mormon culture. I've had some Mormon friends the course of my life, and I know a little bit, but. Um, I'm, you know, does, is, is, I, I, I just don't know if like your visibility, does that like, does that become a threat to, to, to your community thinking that you may be converting people, right? <laughs> With your podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, so it, that's a, that's something that's always on the back of my mind and my approach that I, I try to be clear about, uh, and I would be cleared out if it ever came to the point where the church convened and said, Hey, we want to take some kind of disciplinary action or something against you because they would, they, you know, the church can excommunicates people who, um, that they mark as apostates, which is somebody who's teaching doctrine. That's that runs contrary to what the church teaches. Right. And in my position and the way I view this with Buddhism in general is, I'm, I'm not teaching anything that's contrary because most religions are giving you answers. So if, my, if I start teaching people, well, hey, here's this other answer and it conflicts with, with the LDS church answer, that is a conflict in doctrine. But I, I don't do that because I'm, I, I'll never give an answer to any of those questions. I'll always say, I'll do what, what, I, what happened to me was, which is who wants to know? That's what, or why do you want to know? You know, right. stick with the question become introspective with the question and just forget about the answer. That's sure. the only thing I present in, in how, and in, in the ideas that I'm presenting to people. And I can't imagine that that would ever run into conflict because I don't have an opposing answer to conflict with. Exactly. Um, exactly. It's a beautiful answer. I mean, uh, it's, it's perfect. And, and, uh, and it's exactly in the spirit of Buddhism, right? It's, it's like, you know, just 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 sit with the questions that's how i got here but yeah. um you may go somewhere else right yeah <laughs> that's excellent and i'm and i'm definitely not interested in converting people to buddhism or converting them away from mormonism it's like if that works for you this is what i tell my wife all the time if it if it inspires you to be a better person and it brings you joy stick with it right but the moment it doesn't do either of those two things then at least be willing to explore that and say, why, why does this not make me happy? Or why is this not motivating me to be a better person? Then there's something to look at there. That's yeah. what it was doing for me. I had reached the point where it wasn't bringing me joy right. and it didn't motivate me to be a better person. It was, I just didn't, I was very unhappy with life. So I was willing to explore it. Why am I unhappy? And that's what led me into this other way of thinking but not because this one was right and that one was wrong. And that's what I try to emphasize with people who listen to, to my podcast or, or read books on Buddhism. It's like, don't approach this as, Hey, this might be better than what you've got over there. It's like, no, this is just different. It might, it might be more skillful for you. Sure. But it might not, it might be very unskillful to try to make Buddhism work because of your social circumstances and family dynamic and all of this that you're going to encounter. Maybe you should just stick with Mormonism and be a better version of yourself within Mormonism. Right. Um, and I think that applies to any ideology. Yeah, that, that's excellent. That's excellent, Noah. Um, 
I'm, I think we should probably wrap it up, but I, I have a closing question for you. Um, you've been teaching Buddhism, um, not giving them the answers. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do the disclaimer, but we, you've been teaching Buddhism through your podcast and your meditation and, or through your workshops or mindfulness through your workshops. Um, so you've seen a lot of people come to you with their issues, ask you questions. I know how that is. Um, because, you know, I started my podcast so that I could reach out to people from a career coaching aspect because Buddhism does help people in all parts of their life. If, yeah. if they learn to, to um, try some of the, the, the techniques and the practices. So in what you see in your relationship to people and the questions they bring you and the, the troubles that they have, what do you think the single most important thing, and I know this is a biggie because you probably can't tell me one, but the single most important thing that you think Buddhism has to offer everyone? Uh, that is a big question. And I would say, based on my experience, the single biggest thing that Buddhist ideas, doctrines, teachings, whatever you want to call them, offer is the ability to find more contentment with who you are now. I think that's what we struggle with. What I see people struggling with most in life is the seeking. It's like, there's who I am and who I could be if I went to the gym or who I could be if I study <laughs> yeah. more and read more books. Or, you know, there's always this comparison between who I am and who I think I should be. And all of the ideologies and whatever's out there that can try to give you comfort, it cannot give you peace with accepting who you are in this moment until you are willing to accept who you are in this moment. And that's what I think Buddhism is really good at. It helps you spend less time searching out there in the external things right. and more time searching internally. And it, and in that process of inner exploration, uh, hopefully discovering that I'm actually okay with who I am and how <laughs> I am. Because yeah. I will change. That's not to say that, hey, don't try to change yourself. That's not at all what this is. It's the understanding of change is inevitable. I'm not who I was 10 years ago. I won't be who I am now 10 years from now. But in the middle of all that constant inevitable change, can I accept who I am, the, the, the one that's changing? And when I find that, uh, the ability to accept myself in that process, inner peace is what happens. It's like, <laughs> okay, uh, this is me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and you know that it, it, there's, there's, this, there's this big thing that you're talking about, inner peace, and this little thing about accepting yourself. But it is so true. Um, but but it, it, it probably seems ludicrous to people. But that is an excellent answer. And I think it's a great way to stop. Um, and I, I hope we can meet up again and do some of these because I think it'd be fun to kind of play around with different concepts of Buddhism and Buddhism in the world, right? Yeah. And I, I, I want to say I love what you're doing. Uh, which I think is, is what I was interested in doing is helping to take these big esoteric, sometimes over my head type concepts <laughs> and say, but what does this look like in everyday life? You know, my approach secular was that like outside of the big mystical stuff, what does this look like? Just the, the pragmatic approach. And I love that you're doing that with this podcast. Everyday Buddhism is okay. That all this is great and stuff. 
but what does it look like in my everyday life when I, when I come home and I'm in a bad mood and I step on the Legos, you know, <laughs> or I'm stuck at the red light. Uh, so I, I want to also extend that deep bow to you and the work that you're doing with presenting these ideas and these con concepts in the context of everyday life uh, is wonderful. I think it's what we need. Uh, it's what our society needs to be not to be good, but again, to be a little bit more skillful. If we could be more skillful as a society, you know, tomorrow than we are today, that's a great thing. And I, I think I see your podcast as being a very valuable tool for that. So thank you. Oh, thank you. No, that's a, that's a, that's a, a, a big thing. It actually kind of scares me helping the world get better, but uh, we'll work on one person at a time. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Noah. So thank you so much again for joining me. And that's it for episode five of everyday Buddhism, making every day better. Um, I don't know about you, but that sure made my day better listening to Noah's story. He is, uh, he has a lot to say and he is a great inspiration for a lot of people, I'm sure. Um, before I wrap up this episode, I want to thank Noah again, and I want everyone who has subscribed, downloaded, and shared links to my podcast and reviews. I can't express how honored I am to have all the positive feedback and enthusiasm. And don't forget to check out my website. Leave me an email or a comment on my website telling me how I'm doing and tell me if you anything you want me to cover in my next podcast. If you liked what you heard so far, please subscribe and take a minute to review the podcast so, so more people can find out about it. Thanks again, and until next time, keep making your everydays better. Music.